When I say Christmas blank, what word comes to mind? You said ghosts, then you're in the fine company of this episode's remarkable storyteller, Charles Dickens. My name is Randy Overbeck, and it's my pleasure to host great stories about great storytellers where I feature the authors, poets, and directors you know well, but let you in on their little-known and sometimes unusual backstories. And today I'm going to share some of those interesting details about Charles Dickens and his classic, A Christmas Carol. I'm particularly excited about this episode because I, too, have a thing for ghosts. You see, I'm the author of the award-winning and best-selling series of ghost story mysteries entitled The Haunted Shore Mysteries. But for now, on to Dickens and his Christmas ghosts. Charles John Huffman Dickens, 1812 to 1870, is regarded by many as the greatest novelist of the Victorian age, having created some of the best-known fictional characters. His works, The Pickwick Papers, Oliver Twist, David Copperfield, and A Tale of Two Cities, rank among the best-known of all British novels and have become part of the Western canon. In fact, more than a few years ago, when I taught high school English, selections from one or two of his works were always part of the senior curriculum and are to this day. Dickens proved himself a remarkable writer in, another, in a number of ways other authors can learn from. First, he wrote what he knew. Many of his works carry the theme of mistreatment of laborers, especially child laborers. Charles, one of eight children in the Dickens family, learned the harsh lesson of poverty of the working class personally. His father, John Dickens, liked to live beyond his means and as a result ended up in a debtor's prison. Charles was forced to quit school at age 12 and work 10-hour days in a boot factory to make money for the family. Through these experiences and much research later in life, he learned of the trials of the working poor, and all this went into making his writing so powerful. Much of his earlier works were published in serial form. Rather than receiving stories in a full book, readers would devour episodes, chapters, and sections as they were published monthly or weekly serial in a serial or magazine such as Master Humphrey's Clock or Household Words. He demonstrated such skill he was able to end each of the 20 installments with a cliffhanger that left readers hankering for the next one. Even though Dickens was technically paid by the line for these words, he was not one to waste words. He has some of the best and well-known first lines in his novels, lines that hooked the reader from the very beginning. The opening lines of A Tale of Two Cities are considered to be among the best in literature. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. It was the age of wisdom. It was the age of foolishness. It was the epic of belief. It was the epic of incredulity. It was the season of light. It was the season of darkness. It was the spring of hope. It was the winter of despair. How could readers not keep reading after those words? Dickens had the double benefit of being quite popular and 
loved by other authors, at least some of them. William Thackeray, a contemporary of Dickens, wrote of A Christmas Carol, It seems to me a national benefit, and to every man and woman who reads it, a personal kindness. Dickens' works were cited as favorites by such other contemporary writers as Tolstoy, Dostoevsky, and Jules Verne. Though I should mention here, Mark Twain was not a fan. A Tale of Two Cities, his most popular novel overall, has sold over 200 million copies and counting. More impressive still, none of his novels have ever gone out of print in almost 180 years. His works, especially the serials, created huge followings on both sides of the Atlantic when they were written. After the abrupt ending of each section, readers would wait breathlessly for the next installment in the magazine. That's how Dickens gave the world many of his best works, like The Pickwick Papers, The Old Curiosity Shop, Great Expectations, and, of course, A Tale of Two Cities. Journalists in America recorded this fervor when ships bearing the latest installment would pull into the New York Harbor. Eager American readers would call out to the British sailors asking whether Little Nell was dead yet. Oh, to have your readers clamoring to know what comes next. That's every author's secret dream. This serialization was true of many of his works, but not of A Christmas Carol. Dickens' novella that has become the most famous Christmas book ever written. By now, we have all heard of, read of, viewed Ebenezer Scrooge, Tiny Tim, the ghosts of Christmas past, present, and future. Dickens' little Christmas book has been the best-selling book, his best-selling book in America, and has been adapted into countless treatments on the stage and screen, including the newest Hilarious musical adaptation on Apple TV this year, entitled Spirited. But I'm pretty sure there is some backstory about Dickens' A Christmas Carol you might not be aware of. In a bit, after our word from this episode's sponsor, I'll share those interesting details. Hi, I'm Cassie McLean. And I'm excited to sponsor Randy Overbeck's podcast, Great Stories About Great Storytellers. As a USA Today and Amazon bestselling author, I cross a wide range of genres. Despite being warned to avoid the rule, it only served as an intriguing challenge. From ethereal, captivating shorts with eerie twist endings, to believable time slips, ghostly encounters, mystical plots, heart-pounding thrillers, and sensual romantic suspense— I combine genres across the board. Though I network, host, and participate in multiple social media events, choose effective marketing promotions, send out weekly newsletters, and maintain and update a website, being seen by readers who will love my books is the key to my success. I connect with my readers and listen to what they love. Whether you're an author, a reader, or both, I invite you to escape into my imagination Find me at CassieMcLean.com. That's C-A-S-I-M-C-L-E-A-N.com, where you can connect with me on social media, Amazon, and Audible. Thanks for listening. And now, back to Randy's exciting Dickens podcast. 
As I mentioned earlier, Dickens was immensely popular and his novels sold quite well, especially in the serialized format that gave him access to a much broader reading audience than most writers of his day. But like many authors, Dickens suffered through periods of financial hardship and mid-1843 was one of those times as his latest novel, Martin Chuzzlewit, was not doing well and his publishers threatened to reduce his monthly income by 50 pounds, a sizable amount at the time. So, A Christmas Carol was written for the most basic reason. Dickens needed the money. In fact, he wrote the novella in six short weeks in fall of 1843, working at one bi- in what one biographer described as writing in a white heat. The ideas for the story were massaged and the words composed during his nightly 15 to 20 mile nighttime hikes around London, after which he'd scribble in a fury for hours. But the little book did more than make money, and that it did. The first copies hit the shelf on December 19, 1843, with the first edition selling out by Christmas Eve. By the next year, the novella had already gone through 13 printings. And like other Dickens' work, it continues to sell well today. (laughs) A brief side note here. Though A Christmas Carol did sell well and make money, Dickens did not get to see most of it because of an arrangement he had with the publisher. I bet a few authors can relate. A Christmas Carol also did much to revive the celebration of Christmas in Victorian London. At the time, Christmas was seen mostly as a rural, small-town celebration. But Dickens' little book popularized the idea that even in the smelly, crowded, dirty city, there was room for Christmas celebration. Though the phrase had been around for years, it was Dickens' use of Merry Christmas in A Christmas Carol that rejuvenated it into common usage, which has endured for 175 years. A Christmas Carol also accomplished one of Dickens' major goals for his writing. It exposed the evil of corporate greed and the suffering of the common working poor perhaps more effectively than all his other works. In fact, it is Dickens that charities and nonprofits today have to thank for people's generosity at Christmas. His novella popularized the idea of giving to help the those less fortunate at this time of year, a tradition that has thankfully only grown over the past 180 years. By the way, A Christmas Carol wasn't Dickens' only Christmas story. Several others preceded it, though the novella is clearly the best. Dickens was tapping into the British tradition of sharing ghost stories around the fire to to scare kids straight. Kind of the opposite of Santa's message to be good for goodness sake that would emerge later in the 19th century. But I still like the idea of a Christmas ghost story. That's why when I penned the third installment in my Haunted Shore Mystery series, Scarlet at Crystal River, I decided to follow Dickens' lead and make it a ghostly haunted Christmas story, 
set on the beautiful Gulf Coast of Florida. Unlike Dickens' spirits, though, my ghosts are not scary. They're the ghosts of two murdered children. But what happens to them is as terrifying and horrible as anything in a Dickens novel. You can find out more about Scarlet at Crystal River and the rest of the series at my website, www.authorrandyoverbeck.com, where you can also access any of the episodes of this podcast, Great Stories About Great Storytellers. Until next time, keep reading those great stories, and I hope at least one of those is mine. <laughs>